In today's episode, we discuss some sensitive topics, and although our podcast is usually quite quote-unquote clean, in today's episode there was explicit language used. We have decided to leave it as is in its natural state. Some of our topics are quite controversial. I invite you to keep an open mind during this conversation. Life on Earth celebrates diversity. Take what resonates with you. There's much to learn from our next guest. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. Our guest today is John Joseph. He is incredible. I am so excited to share this conversation with you. Super inspiring to me. John is a musician. He's the lead singer of the Cro-Mags and Blood Clot. He's also the author of three books, The Evolution of Cro-Magnon, Meter for Pussies, and The PMA Effect. John is also an Ironman and a triathlete. He has been featured on many podcasts, including the Ritual Podcast, as well as Joe Rogan. And I totally invite that you guys check out those episodes, as anytime he's out speaking, he drops so many jewels. John is a leader and activist in the plant-based movement. He's also a longtime yogi, and we connect many, many, many things about this. Having gone through so many life experiences, he has much to teach and to share. I am inspired by John and all of the abundance that he has to share with the world. This episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School. Check out our extensive program at shantiyogatrainingschool.com. We offer retreats, Zoom online sessions, continuing education for yoga teachers, 200, 300, and 500 hour trainings, workshops, deepening your practice on and off the mat, meditations, online courses, and so much more. Definitely check us out. Have you checked out my new book, Living Life in Light? I am launching my new book, Living Life in Light, this month. The book is such that you can read it from beginning to end. It's got many healing techniques and tools to enhance your life, your daily life, raise your vibration not only of yourself but the planet. You can also connect with your heart space, ask for a message, flip the pages and see where you land, and get your daily inspiration just like that. It's been working beautifully, not only for myself, but for many others, and I cannot wait for you to have access to this book. The book is now available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, as well as livinglifeinlight.com. Connect with me, you guys, via Instagram. My Instagram is at Natalie Craft. Like the show, enjoy Life on Earth podcast, share this episode with someone you love, Subscribe to Life on Earth and give us a five-star review. I'd so appreciate you. So appreciate that. Well, without further ado, enjoy this incredible and insightful conversation with the one and only Mr. John Joseph. Welcome to Life on Earth, the Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature, and ultimately, love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace, and global equality, one earthling at a time. I'm here with an ultra-special guest today, someone I've been wanting very much so to uh, talk for quite a while. 
and uh, he's here. His name is John Joseph. Woohoo! Woo. <laughs> Hello, how are you? What's up? Greetings from uh, rainy New York. Oh, good. Also known as John, also known as JJ. <laughs> All kinds of names. Okay. I don't even know like where to start because there's so many angles that I could take this conversation with you, but I know you've been on a lot of podcasts and you guys listeners, you know, if you just go and, and you can look, I'm sure maybe you already know John Joseph, but, and you can know his background story, but if you could, I know if you might not want to go too much into it, but if you could at least give us anything you would like to share about like who you are and like how you know what are you doing now or i don't know all right how does your story begin <laughs> well it it uh actually began at conception because uh i didn't find out till i was uh 40 years old that uh my mother had left my my father was very violent uh he was a professional boxer and uh not a nice person and my mother left him after my older brother was born I'm the middle and uh, he actually broke in and, and raped my mother and uh, they were still married so the police didn't do nothing and you know everybody was telling her not to have the child but you know she chose to have me and it started there and he was beating my mother while she was pregnant with me and uh, and then he did the same thing again two years later. My younger brother was born. So at the age of 21, my mother had three kids with uh, no way to pay for them and having to dodge this dude. And she spun into depression and taking uh, medications and stuff like that back in the day in the 60s. This, you know, was Valium and drinking and whatever. And then. Uh, she became very depressed, and the state took us away, put us in foster care, and we ended up in uh, a really bad home for six years, and that home got closed. We kept getting bounced around, ended up on the streets, 76, 77, 78, doing crazy stuff in New York. and uh, Meaning you, right? My brother, too. My older okay. brother was... Uh, we got heavily into drugs. How old were you at that time? Oh, I was like 14. Okay. Yeah, 1976. It was a crazy time in New York City. And uh, we just felt that the system failed us. And uh, that's why we went on to the streets and uh, did what we had to do to survive out there as kids, 14, 15 years old. New York City was one of the most violent cities in the nation of in America and craziness. So, uh, but I'm sure you learned a lot. We got street smarts out the wazoo. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. But you always had to be on guard, especially as a young person, because uh, you know. Oh yeah, I'm, I mean, it was tough, right? Yeah, I mean, I got in a lot of fights. I got shot. I got uh, stabbed up. Uh, and then uh, I was in with some really dangerous people, you know, selling angel dust, PCP and heroin and all this shit and uh, racked up a bunch of cases, you know, that I got caught for drugs. And then I broke into a pharmacy and then I, I sold to undercover cops and finally... Uh, I got arrested for my third charge, and uh, they locked me up 
and uh, I went upstate and some of the worst places in, in New York, Spofford Correctional Facility in the Bronx. And uh, and at that time, how old were you? Uh, I spent my 16th birthday in Spofford, which uh, was uh, a trip, to say the least. Uh, I was the only white person in the whole facility. Uh-huh. I mean, just to set the stage, you know, the the five percent Muslims, the radical wing of Nation of Islam had just overtaken a lot of the prison system in New York. So okay. they turned everybody against white people. You know, they called you Yaku, the devil, all this shit. And Roots was on TV. So that just tells you. And then I'm the only white person in the facility of like three thousand inmates. So, you know, I went in fighting uh, the day I got in there and uh, it took over probably a month and a half to really get the respect that, you know, I was not the one to fuck with, to put it mildly. And uh, I went upstate after that. And, uh, you know, from there I got out and I was released onto the streets and I caught another drug charge because I went back to what I knew. That's Mm -hmm. what they do when they lock you up. They don't give you any knowledge to better your life it's or just education basic. or anything yeah, it's, in, yeah. it's incarceration so uh they offered me the navy or going back to jail so i took the navy and uh and that's when the real life changes started so yeah so you went to the navy after all that for how long uh well i signed up for four years but uh I always had, you know, this hustlers mentality. That's what I, I said that in my book, The Evolution of a Cro-Magnon, that hustlers, you're not born that way. You're, they're created out of circumstances that, you know, the human nature is, is to survive. So mm-hmm. whatever it takes, whatever that means, a person's going to do it. So when I went into the Navy, I was like, okay, you're going to give me this instead of locking me back up. Great. So I went into the Navy. I went to boot camp high on angel dust. Okay. Me and my brother smoked uh, angel dust before, and I'd never even been on a plane before. We shipped out of Fort Hamilton in Brooklyn, and uh, there was an angel dust place real close to the base. So uh, we went and bought four or five bags of angel dust and went to, you know, went to boot camp high on angel dust. And after boot camp, you know, I was smuggling on the ship. I was fighting everybody. I was, you know, into punk rock. So in <laughs> 1980 in Norfolk, yeah, it was all redneck sailors and Marines. And I had a lot of uh, altercations. And, uh, and then uh, I met this band called the Bad Brains. And they played at this punk rock club in 1980 called the Taj Mahal. And the Okay. They had just gotten into Rastafari. and Oh, wow. Okay, so pause for a minute because that's what I was going to say. So I know that music is a huge part of your life, and I know that you, you're you in a band, right? You yeah, have a band. Yeah. yeah, the Cro-Mags. And so I was going to ask you, like, how, when we were talking about the Navy and all that, how does music infiltrate in the Rasta part? I'm super interested yeah. about that, too. Well, see, what happened was... The only solace that we had and the only, you know, we were severely abused for six years in his home in every way. When you hear all the nightmares that go on, it was happening to us. So to me, music was always the thing that that got me through. I had this little broken AM radio that was held together by tape and, and a headphone and they made us sleep in a garage and 
I would just, you know, be under the blanket, like, you know, listening to music and, you know, all throughout my life, it was always music that was an outlet. And then all the anger started building up. And then, you know, I was really into funk and black music. And then, you know, I liked rock too. But when I started hearing the Sex Pistols in 77 and the Ramones and the Clash and, and all the rest of the stuff, I was like, the energy and the and the the outlet for the anger that it was it really uh, resonated with me. So uh, mm-hmm. that's where that came from. But my ship first went to Jamaica before I met the Bad Brains, and uh, you know I was hooked up with this ring of smugglers that knew what ports to bring what back and all this stuff. So they told me about you know going to Jamaica and how to sneak back pounds of marijuana. So that was my uh, intention when I got off the ship. I met some Rasta and, you know, he was telling me about ITAL and, Mm -hmm. you know, which is plant-based food and all this. And it didn't really take, but when I met the Bad Brains. Bad Brains? Yeah, the Bad Brains. Got it. They had this song about PMA, positive mental attitude and all this stuff. And I got to talk, you know, with the singer And just their music, I mean, they've influenced everybody from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. There isn't a band out there now that, you know, Metallica, any of these guys, if you say Bad Brains, they're like, those are the Dons, those are the kings of the whole. They're not together anymore? Uh, Nah. Nah, I need to look them up because this sounds really cool. Yeah, if you go on YouTube and you put in 1982 CBGB's Bad Brains, you can watch the whole set. It's like, it's unbelievable, you know. Yeah. So uh, So how do you start playing? Well, I got into trouble in the Navy. (laughs) I sold drugs to an undercover cop at King's Head Inn, which was this punk bar, like a punk bar, but they had rock bands playing. I was selling acid, quaaludes, cocaine, pills, weed, you name it. And I sold him some pills and he turned out to be an undercover cop. So I got arrested. So then I was facing a civilian charge and there was this one guy on my ship that just kept fucking with me and I was never a bully. I always was like, yo, just give me my space, you know, and I just kept warning the dude and he just kept pushing it and uh, we were out at sea and uh, I was restricted to the ship because of my upcoming drug case and he just kept pissing me off and and uh i locked him into the paint locker and beat him till he was put in the hospital so uh, and then you know everything you see karma it's like Mm -hmm. it's so intricate i look as like krishna is is the ultimate chess player and he's making moves but it's like i had gotten my wisdom teeth pulled before we got underway and uh I started getting an infection. I think that's part of the reason I had a short temper with this guy, too. I'm like, I couldn't leave the ship. Everybody was going on liberty. It's like 90 degrees, and they had me out working in the heat, painting the ship and all this crap. And, you know, they locked me down. But the thing was, I developed a severe infection because of the surgery that I had. They had to medevac me by helicopter off the ship back to... Roosevelt Roads in Puerto Rico, because we were in the Caribbean. 
and they forgot to put in my orders that I was supposed to be handcuffed to the bed. So uh, <laughs> they gave me my ID and they cut me a check and off I went. So I got back to Norfolk and then uh, split shortly after and yeah. uh, went back to New York. I hung in D.C. for a little bit with like uh, I lived at Henry Rollins place and Ian Mackay from Minor Threat. Let me stay at their place for a little over a week, and then I moved on back to New York. And I ran into the Bad Brains, and they were living in this studio. And I had known some of the punk rockers because I was coming up to shows from Norfolk and up uh, back up in New York. So uh, they were like, oh, there's this band. So the first band, HR tried to hook me up with the guitar player, got murdered by bikers. So that band ended. And then this band, the Cro-Mags, was getting put together. So uh, so they were in the beginning stages? Yeah. They didn't have a singer yet. And uh, the bass player wanted me to sing. So we rehearsed for, I don't know, four or five months. And then the drummer quit and the guitarist quit. And then the band kind of went into hiatus. But, uh, you know, I was writing a lot of lyrics at the time. And, and when that all fell apart and then I wasn't working with the Bad Brains, in 1982, I went and became a Hare Krishna monk for like two years. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was reading Prabhupada's books and I went out to Hawaii and, and New York. And, you know, it was just something that that I needed to do. But this was after the, the Cro-Mags? No, this was the Cro-Mags broke up. And then okay. while the Cro-Mags were broken up, I, I went. That's when you went to. So yeah, you did the Cro-Mags for a bit, and then you went to, started with the Hare Krishna thing. Yeah, but uh, I worked at a health food store, so uh, it was connected to Jiva Mukti here in New York. Mm -hmm. Swami Sachinananda. So they gave me free yoga, and then I was cooking up at the Integral Yoga Institute, learning how to cook. And, you know, meeting all these amazing people, Victorious Kovinskis, Ann Wigmore, Swami Sachinananda, like all these, you know, I went to see uh, Sri Chin Moy speak and all, you know, I got into Gurdjieff and, and Krishnamurti and started reading a lot of philosophy. And uh, yeah, it just came to the point where I was like, all right, I need to do this for a little while. I don't know how long, but. You know, I went to Hawaii for a year. and You then, really wanted to, like, experience being a monk and going, yeah, like, diving. Monk, 100% like, 100% into like Spirituality. You know, not some bullshit monk doing all kinds of bullshit. Like yeah. a real monk celibate up every morning at 2 a.m. So, bed wait a minute. So, you were brahmachari? You were practicing brahmachari? Yeah, I was brahmachari? a brahmachari. 100%. Oh, wow. Yeah, shaved head, wearing uh, saffron, renounced order. Definitely. So how um, did you get to meet them, like the Hare Krishnas? Because as you know, we both have that as a, a similar background. When I yeah. was about 12, I think I was like 12 years old or 13, I was going to a, to a temple for Sita Yoga with Guru Mai. And then it was really far from my house. My mom couldn't drive me because we were living in Rio de Janeiro. And then I couldn't go anymore because I had moved from Mexico. So then right. I started going... When I was in Mexico, I was going to the Sita Yoga with an aunt of mine. But then when we moved to Brazil, I couldn't really get there too much because it was like an hour away. But there yeah. was a Krishna temple like 
10 minutes from my house. Right. And I started going there. And the first time I went there was like a boy took me. He was like a surfer and I was a surfer too in Rio. And I remember just like uh, having Prasad and like sitting for a lecture, like a Bhagavad Gita lecture. And yeah. I was just like, it blew my mind. You yeah. Know? Well, that's what happened to me. Um, you know, it's always six degrees of separation. Like the health food store that I got the job at was because the manager of the health food store was the drummer of this band, the Dots, right? So Jimmy Quid from the Dots produced the first Bad Brain single, right? So they were like, yo, this dude that's in this band works at this health food store. They need to hire somebody. So I got the job. Now this individual that was in the Dots, the drummer, his name is Vinny. He used to go to the Hare Krishna temple up in Midtown. You know, I was reading a lot of philosophy. So while me and him were working in the store all day, I thought I was Mr. Philosopher. And I'm like <laughs> saying all this hodgepodge philosophy, you know, yeah, kind of like Mayavadi philosophy, this, that. Mm -hmm. And he just kept dropping like quotes from the Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam mm -hmm. and the Ishapanishads and, you know, Prabhupada's purports. Mm -hmm. On top of that, and I'm like, yo, like everything I said, he was able to counter with an intelligent answer that this mm -hmm. is why this happens. And I'm like, I'm yeah. like, yo, this is bugged out. Like, where and wait, you? what year around what year was this? Just so we can this put was this in perspective. 1981. 1981. Okay. I was already plant-based. What? Yeah, I was already plant-based. I got the job in the health food store. Mm. So the thing about the Bad Brains, they were plant-based, and they're like, if you want to work with us, you can't eat meat. Oh, and really? That yeah, is so, so cool. So, like, I got, I, I was like, yeah. And, and then the sound man was a raw foodist. Was it a hard transition for you when you well, dropped you know, meat? Like, he took me first time to Angelica Kitchen, and it's all macrobiotic, brown rice. I was like, this shit's nasty. But then... <laughs> He took me to like vegetarian paradise and so, and the cauldron on Sixth Street and these like more transitional places where the uh -huh. food tastes a lot better. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Yo, I could do this." And then I just was like, I saw this movie. Uh, Frederick Wiseman did this movie called Meat. He's this famous documentary uh, maker, and he did this movie called Meat in 1976. I haven't watched that yet. You got to watch it because okay. there's no voiceover narration. There's nothing. He just takes you through the journey of what animals go through when they are slaughtered. It's I'm making a note of that meat. And what's the name of the guy? Frederick Weissman. Okay. He did this other movie, this documentary about a nut house called Titty Cut Follies. He's like this famous, obscure documentary filmmaker. Okay. And he lets he lets the subject matter tell the story. He doesn't sit there like documentaries today. Everybody's narrating and mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't any of that. Like the movie opens with with a horse in a cold field and the horse is breathing and you see the the steam coming out of the horse's nose mm -hmm. and then it, then it pulls back. There's a cowboy on the horse and then it pulls back further. There's other cowboys and they're herding these cows. And it just, I was like, holy shit, this is what yeah. happens. But you know what? Like for you to have gone through, we just briefed on your life. And for you to have gone through the life that you did on your 
teens, like early teens and incarceration, all that. And then at such an early age to watch something like that and have such an awakening, like have such a sensitivity, to me, it really like goes to show that, I mean, I know this is going to sound kind of woo, but I just feel like this has always been with you. This is just like part of who you are forever, not only in this lifetime. I, I, I saw people get stabbed to death in front of me, shot, murdered, butchered. I mean, the shit that I've seen and things that happened to me, it's... I've been around it, you know, my whole life, that kind of violence. And I was like, wow, man, look what they're doing to these poor. I like cried when I saw that shit. You did? You cried? I was like, yo, how can you do this to. But you know, you are so interesting because you have these like kind of rough thing and street smart and the punk rock. And then yet you're like so young and crying when you see it. It's not everybody like that. And that's one thing I really admire in you because. You have made it a way, I mean, we're not fast forward where you are today, like you're doing so many amazing, wonderful things in the planet for us, and you're such an inspiration to me, and not only you are aware of it, but you're also taking action, you know, yeah. and you're- Well, that's it. If we do don't it. act upon, you know, Prabhupada always said, we don't want armchair philosophers. Like anything that I've overcome, and even after I- got into Hare Krishna and and plant-based and everything. I had a relapse into crack cocaine from eight and freebase from eight and pills and alcohol from 88 to 90. But it was only Prabhupada's knowledge and the chanting and the meditation that okay. uh, I was able to, to break out of that. So for people who are, who are not familiar with the Hare Krishnas, just I want to pause for a moment for everyone who's listening. All of that we're talking about with what John's saying with the Hare Krishna, this is all yoga, you guys. And, you know, I know many of us know that. But there's also the way yoga has gotten so popular and there's like billions of people practicing. We talk about that all the time. A lot of times it's just like you see asana, right? Like the postures and the classes. When um, you are such a bhakti yogi, like yoga from the heart. And the Hare Krishnas are yogis too. They just do it from a different perspective and a different method. A lot of chanting. It's the yoga of devotion. But the thing is, is the asanas are practiced to let your body sit in meditation for long periods of time. Uh-huh. But the thing is, what are you meditating on? Because if you look in the Bhagavad Gita, it says the yogi is supposed to sit in asana and meditate on Shiradakshai Vishnu or the Lord in the heart. That's supposed to be the meditation. Uh-huh. But there's three expansions of, of Krishna in the material world and Vishnu is a plenary expansion. So the devotees approach Krishna directly. And there's a quote in Bhagavad Gita. It's one of the nutshell important verses. And it says, Tesham satata yuktanam bhajatam pritipurvakam dadami buddhi yogam tam yenimama upiyantite. That those who worship me with love and devotion, I give the understanding by which they can come to me in Krishna's original form so the yogis are actually meditating on the energy that's coming off of krishna so that's mm-hmm. called the brahma jyoti that's where the yogis that was the thing see i started reading all these other books and then it was like to me that was all basic math that you need in order to do say trigonometry so when i started reading the vedas the Srimad bhagavatam it mm-hmm. put 
all of that into perspective. It's all part and parcel of the same truth. Yeah. But there are different paths to take to get to that truth. Yeah. And so Prabhupada, since we've been mentioning him so much, for people who don't know, can you tell us who Prabhupada is? Well, Prabhupada is in a direct sampradaya, which is, you know, it goes back tens and thousands of years of unbroken teachers. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu 500 years ago predicted that somebody would take birth on this planet that would spread the teachings of love of God, of, of Hare Krishna, uh, and the chanting of the, it's the Yuga Dharma. This is the Dharma for this age, which is the chanting of the Maha Mantra. So, you know, Lord Chaitanya predicted there would be someone who would spread it all over the planet. And many people tried, but there was a disciple of Bhakti Siddhanta Maharaj, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. That means at whose feet all other masters sit. So everyone tried to go to India from India. They tried to go to London. They said, and they came back to India and said, the Western people will never take to this philosophy. This is too austere. They're addicted to sex and they're addicted to meat and intoxication and gambling and, and all of this. And then Bhakti Siddhanta, his final order to Srila Prabhupada was to go to the West and spread these teachings. So Prabhupada, at 70 years old, got on a steamship from India with $7 and a case of books. That's wow. it. That's all he had. And he landed in Boston and came to New York and lived on the Bowery. Mm -hmm. His guru's other wish was that he translates the Vedic teachings into multi-languages, English being the first one. So Prabhupada's actually in the Guinness World Book of Record for translating more of the Vedas than anybody, oh, wow. more volumes. And not just that, he made devotees. He came uh, to the Lower East Side. He slept on the floor. He was robbed. Uh, he fed everybody. And Allen Ginsberg and the yippies, the hippies that were down here in 67, really took to Prabhupada with his humility. Mm -hmm. And Acharya... That means one who leads by example. So they looked at Prabhupada. He has no possessions. Here's this 70-plus-year-old man who came to America with no possessions, just mm -hmm. on the order of his guru. Yeah. Doesn't have a bank account. He didn't go to Park Avenue and Madison Avenue like these other gurus who were coming to America. You know, he stayed down with the people. He was a teacher of like-minded people such as myself that rejected the system and all this. And then they got him a storefront on 26 Second Avenue. And then he kept translating the books and having Sunday programs going in Tompkins Square Park and chanting. And just due to his purity, he was able to start a worldwide movement with millions of devotees of Krishna now and translate Bhagavad Gita. There's many versions of the Bhagavad Gita. Somebody just said that to me the other day, oh, I got this Bhagavad Gita. I said, well, the real Bhagavad Gita is the Bhagavad Gita as it is with yep. the original Sanskrit texts and then mm -hmm. commentary from a pure devotee of Krishna. Yep. So if you don't have a pure devotee of Krishna commenting on the Bhagavad Gita, then it's not bona fide. You, you can't have some Mayavadi that doesn't, you know, accept that Krishna is God. 
Yeah. Well, and his teachings spread all, literally all over the world. All over the world. All over the world. But it wasn't his teachings. And he says that. Yeah. These teachings come from an unbroken line all the way back, you know, hundreds. Yeah, lineage. It's called the Sampradaya. Mm -hmm. It goes back tens and thousands of years. So he was basically the mailman who was delivering the message of love of God, that if you want to be happy in this world, happiness in the material world is fleeting and temporary. There's the Adi Baltic, Adi Divic, Adi Atmic miseries, birth, death, disease, old age, and that the living entity, the Jiva, is not meant to be in the material body or in the material world, but by developing our relationship back with uh, Krishna, that you can actually transmigrate the soul like a yogi. That's what a real yogi does. A real yogi picks the time that he wants to leave his body. You're not Mm -hmm. just kicked out. Right. Like everything is astrological. If you start studying the Vedas and Vedic astrology and the Ayurvedic system of medicine and just the teachings of all these different books, like I was just like, I didn't accept anything blindly. As a matter of fact, I came in there trying to challenge it. You questioned it. I questioned everything because of my background and my past of like everybody lied to me as a kid. I didn't trust nobody. Yeah. It's a good thing that you questioned everything. Of course. That's a sign of intelligence is is that question. But the thing was, I didn't accept anything blindly. But then you have to surrender to the process. You have to. Somebody just said to me, listen. You can't taste the maple syrup without opening the jar. So just knowing the philosophy, and here's who we're coming back to. Prabhupada said we don't want armchair philosophers. A lot of people know a lot of things, but do they act on it? That's Mm -hmm. the question. Well, and so the thing about that you just said, surrendering to the process is such a huge thing because there's so much nowadays, again, we're talking about you know, yes, people are awakening and there's a lot of spirituality available. There's a lot of information. And yet I find that there's so much walls into surrendering completely into the process. Like I'm going to go this far, but I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to, let me see how much, like you're kind of like just leveling it in a way that's like, well, wait a minute, if we're going to do this at some point, you got to give it all, you know? A hundred percent. Like, You know, that's what Prabhupada always says. You know what Krishna wants? Krishna wants what you're holding on to. Because Mm -hmm. what does the word sadhu mean? Sadhu actually means one who cuts. So one who cuts the ropes and the bondage of the material world. Like what are we all attached to? Country, family, this, that, the other thing. that You know, your money, your bank account, your car. Like even accepting that. You don't know it all. We're attached to this idea that we think, you know, we know it all and nobody, you know, that's the other thing is, uh, you know, people are like, well, we're perfect. Why do we No, You're not perfect. You have imperfect (laughs) senses. You have the tendency to cheat your illusion and you make mistakes. So we all have to accept that those are the four defects of human society. Mm -hmm. So we can't just concoct philosophy and think, you know, we could do whatever we want. That's where, you know, they always say guru, sadhu, and sastra. That's the three references that you know what, what are my actions? 
how do they in line with guru, the guru, the sadhus, and the sastra, the, sastra. the, te- yeah. the teachings? That's the check and balance system. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of humbling experiences for me just because, uh, you know, I come from music and all this. It's really ego. It's an ego-centered, ego-driven kind of world. Celebrities and, uh, and you know, that's all, all that's that stuff. All bullshit because, yeah. like, you know, I've been around all these people. Let me tell you something, millions of dollars and all this shit. And there's a reason, and I told somebody from India, I go, yo, you guys are all coming over here trying to get westernized. And Americans and the other people in the developed world have everything they could ever want. And still they're not happy. And they're going to India to take up yoga and take up a process mm-hmm. of spirituality and find something other than the materialism that exists in this in this world. See, yeah. I knew the whole material world was bullshit. It was full of shit. I rejected all of it. You know, I had people that were abusing the shit out of me, telling me to go to church, you know, dropping us off at the church when I'm like seven and eight years old. And you it's know? still happening all the time. Yeah, it's a pot. Well, this is what is Kali Yuga. It's the Iron Age of quarrel and hypocrisy. So you have that everywhere. You have it in religion. You have it in politics. You have it in just everyday, you know, life of dealing with people. And that was the whole thing for me. When when I would read Prabhupada's books, it was like just this light came on. I'm like, I already know this. And that's what Prabhupada said. When Prabhupada came here and all these yogic masters that had some Mystic cities, you know, S-I-D-D-H-I-S, they had some mystic power because they were yogis. They were able to do certain things and gain followers by that. So when Prabhupada came and the press would be there at JFK, like Channel 7 and just mm-hmm. everybody. And one of the reporters asked him, so what What have you come to teach? And Prabhupada said, I've come to simply remind you of, of that which you have forgotten. That is so beautiful. I, I mean, you know, yoga is simply a reminder of something that we already know because it exists within each and every one of us. I truly We're believe perfect. that. We are perfect as Jiva, part yeah. and parcel of Krishna, part and parcel of God. We are perfect in the spiritual state. It's when we come in contact with matter that the false ego comes into play. All these other, the material senses, all this stuff, you know, the senses... The senses are a network of paths leading to death. Of all the senses, the tongue is the most difficult and voracious to control. Mm. So the thing was, everything I was hearing and listening to Prabhupada's lectures and talking to the devotees, that's when I made the decision to, you know, yo, I got it. And the feeling that you got from getting up at two o'clock in the morning and chanting for two hours, mm-hmm. chanting uh, japa, 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 japa for yeah. two hours, you know, and then I'd go to the whole morning class and then practice mm-hmm. martial arts. And then everything that I was doing, it was just, it was just yeah. healing up every, I did that too. That and it transformed my life. I mean, I feel like my life, you know, I no longer uh, go to the Krishna temple that much, but I feel like had I not gone through that experience, it would have been very different. Yeah. Well, that know? that's what it was for me. When I went, Vinnie took me to the morning program, which is the, the greeting of the deities and Guru Puja. And when the curtains opened at seven o'clock and then that song, George Harrison played mm-hmm. bass on, um, uh, on the Radha Krishna uh, 
greeting of the Didi song, Govinda Mahadi Pusham, Tadamahanjan. Oh my God, that's it's, it's so beautiful, beautiful and, and, by the and, way. And the, and the flowers. Oh and I'm my like, God. This is like a spiritual experience that I'm yeah. having. I just took it all in. And then and then like the devotees made this incredible prashadam. And then I was sitting around taking prashadam with these devotees and sitting around talking philosophy. I didn't even want to leave the temple. Like yeah. I was like, wow, you know, these people are so amazing. It's like you want to be around them, you know, you want to be around. It was yeah. like I wanted to be around the bad brains. I wanted to be around, you know, people that were on a path of, yeah. of, of doing something. Well, and then there's an activation that happens in the process because it's like a necessary part of your growth and your journey. But I want to ask you something. So I have this huge love for animals. And I feel like, you know, you were talking about this other documentary a little bit ago. Yeah. So I know that you've devoted your life so much and wrote about, I actually have your book in my hand right now, Meat is for Pussies by yes. John Joseph. And you have three books now. Two other books. And two I'm other working books. on, I'm, I'm almost done with the cookbook now. That's that I've amazing. On. So why is plant-based so important? Because one of the first teachings that you learn and one of the first things when I found out you know about ITAL and V you know they didn't even have the word vegan that that shit didn't even come till the 90s they just called it either vegetarian or they didn't even say plant-based they would say ITAL whatever these words came later vegan and plant-based and I was a raw foodist but the thing that resonated with me was ahimsa which right. means you know, the nonviolence toward all living entities. And I did shit on the streets I wasn't proud of because if somebody fucked with me on the streets, then all bets were off. I would take it to a level that they couldn't imagine, like violence-wise. And I developed kind of a reputation in Alphabet City of all places. I, I fought this gang that everyone was terrified of and... and and fought five of them with a chain and got stabbed and stood up to them. And so it was it was coming out of that violent background that I was like, yo, you know what? I feel so good right now and I'm not hurting any other. Then I found out about the Jain tribe in India and, and like Ahimsa and Prabhupada talking about the poor animals being slaughtered and that you want world peace. But you slaughter billions of animals cruelly. You're killing cows. You're killing all these poor animals to eat them. So you think. Yeah, how does that work? I mean, how does that work? It's just so crazy. Like Ahimsa is the first principle of yoga, right? But that's why when I see people, and I'm not going to mention any names, but I've been to yoga schools in the last years and it's like. They're not even vegetarian. They're eating fucking burgers and smoking cigarettes and, you know, so-called sannyasis are fucking having sex with their female students. It's bullshit. It's gymnastics. You're doing gymnastics to get a better body so you can break the regulative principles. That's not yoga. That's gymnastics. And if you really want to do yoga, you know, the word yoga itself means to link with the supreme. So there's no cheating on this path because... Shiradakshai Vishnu, the Lord in the heart, is right there watching everything that you're doing. So it's like 
That's why the whole thing of ahimsa, I always say this. If somebody doesn't know, ahimsa means nonviolence. Yes. And if you read the back of Meetings for Pussies, it says something clicked when I stopped eating animals. It was like this awareness came about. It was like, I don't want to cause this harm to these animals. And that was the first step in me being able to calm down and then meditate and then go to yoga and and then do all, you know, it's also about, you know, it's Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, hearing, chanting, remember, and acting upon it to take actions. I started going out and feeding the homeless in New York in, in uh, 83, Prasad and all this stuff at the park. I started the food program down there, feeding people. We fed people Kitri and bread and, and just halava, it engulfed my life of this aspect of service to others. And, and it's still, you know, Prabhupada didn't have to get on that steamship and have two heart attacks on the way over here and almost leave his body. And every, you know, he came from tropical Vrindavan to the ice cold winter of New York. He didn't need to do that, but he did that because his service attitude. He wanted to help others. He knew people were suffer in a suffering condition of life. And if you even read his prayers, there's a great, and I suggest everybody watch this on YouTube. If you want to know who Prabhupada is, there's a great documentary on him. It's about 50 minutes long. It's called Your Ever Well Wisher on okay. YouTube. And it's all about Prabhupada and what he did. And I was just like, this man saved my life. Like, and how do you repay that? And I was told by the devotees, the senior devotees, you can't ever repay that. The only thing you can do is pay that forward and go out. That's and, right. And spread the knowledge and help others. And that's been what I've been trying to do for now almost 39, 40 years. So, yeah. We were talking about ahimsa and, you know, Namvais being the first principle and how for the yogis, like, this is so important. Like, I teach a lot of teacher trainings, too, and it's a really hard concept because people will, you know, when you're learning the eight limbs of yoga, they will go, okay, well, the yamas and ahimsa. And what and I always ask the group. It's a it's a conversation. So I'm usually like, right. what is ahimsa? What does that mean to you? And the first thing that comes is, yes, don't steal, don't. Uh, abuse someone don't hit someone don't do this okay well let's go a little deeper and, the, and but and it doesn't really click the non-eating animals and yet and I'm not trying to be judgmental because I know that you John you're not judgmental and I know no. because you've said this so many times like you even don't even subscribe to veganism and all these isms yeah. but at the same time what I'm seeing a lot is that there's a lot of us who love animals, a lot of people, humans who love animals, and yet doesn't understand that, you know, if you are supporting that farm factory and suffering of all these you know, beautiful animals, what is the difference between, you know, your dog or a pig? Or yeah. it's just like there's somewhat of a disconnect and also maybe okay, well, I'm on the path of yoga, but maybe I'm not there yet. However, right. I love what you said just a moment ago, because you said, if you're on this path, at some point, you're just going to have to be like, well, this is what I have to do. Yeah. Let's not sugarcoat it and water it down. At some point, it is the next level. Well, Prabhupada always gave an analogy, and he said, 
If you're trying to light the fire of devotion, you don't throw water on it at the same time. So you need to take the proper steps to, you know, like I said, you consult Guru, Sadhu, and Sastra. What does the Sastra say about killing animals? That you shouldn't do it. That it's in the mode of ignorance. It's Tamagoon. That we should only eat food in Satchagoon, which is the mode of goodness. And even those foodstuffs, we should offer those by saying prayers and release, you know, there's a world of karma out in the material world. Every single thing you do, there's mm -hmm. a karmic reaction to it. So how do oh, yes. we free ourselves? Because the bhakti yogi doesn't even want to come back to the material world to have to enjoy the fruits of good karma. So the devotee that's on the path of yoga wants to do activities that are transcendental to the three modes of nature, which are tamagun, rajagun, the mode of passion, and satchagun, the mode of goodness. But to get to that platform, the devotee, and I was just reading this the other day, the devotee on the path of yoga must bring their consciousness to the mode of goodness. Okay? And that includes, then you hear all these bogus philosophies. Oh, it's not what goes in the man, it's what comes out. And I said, let me tell you something. What goes in the man, this is biblical, mm -hmm. that they tell you this. If you just drink a quart of whiskey, right? You're telling me that that's not going to affect what's coming out of you? Right. That you're not going to be affected? It's the same thing with the meat, okay? The meat is going to affect your consciousness. You know, the Rastafarians told me that when you eat that animal, you are ingesting every second of that animal's pain that that animal had to endure in its life. And this whole grass-fed, free-range, it's all nonsense. The bottom line is right. you don't need to kill animals to survive you can be healthy even healthier on a whole food plant-based organic diet i mean there's so many options today there is no it, excuse it's ridiculous i mean we used to have to travel in 1980 and 81 with a 25 pound bag of beans and 25 pound yeah. bag of ice, jars yeah. of tahini there was no internet if you found a mom and pop like health food store or restaurant it was like that was a rarity now you got happy cow there's every kind of meat you could possibly want to eat you know you could eat it plant-based so that's what i did to transition you know away from uh, all of that nonsense but the problem that you have in the kali yuga you have a lot of people there's a sanskrit word and it's called sahaja and sahaja means one who takes things cheaply. So this is what you have a lot of, is people doing various activities and not adhering completely. If I start a huge trigonometry problem, but at the beginning of that problem, which could take me seven hours to complete, if I start that problem with two plus two equals five, guess what? Your whole six hours of mathematics is all wrong. Because in the beginning of the equation, you added numbers incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing with yoga. You have to do what the Sastra says. You don't make up your own path. Exactly. You just don't like make up, oh, I'm going to take these teachings, but I'm going to just like interpret something that is different, that I, it's convenient for me. Well, that's the whole thing is we don't 
change the sastra to suit our lifestyle. We <laughs> change our lifestyle because it's what the sastra tells us to do. Bingo. The sastra <laughs> tells you get up early, take a shower, and yeah. go do your meditations. I you mean, know? oh my god! It doesn't god. say get up early, smoke a cigarette, have oh, five yeah. cups of coffee, go on Instagram. Exactly. You know, exactly. You know, in the Kali Yuga, this is what you have going on. But that's why, you know, when I read Prabhupada's books, I mean, I called my first album The Age of Quarrel, you know, which comes directly oh. from Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. The Cro-Mag's first album is called Age of Quarrel, which mm -hmm. is Kali Yuga, that that's the age we're living in. And it was a lot of very insightful uh, philosophy on the on the record. You In know? the lyrics? You write most of the lyrics? Yeah. yeah. You do? Okay. You know, we, we were able to take the street culture of where we came and put it in a philosophical kind of that's beautiful. Which is what we did. So then we, we connected. It didn't come off like no offense, but you see these Christian bands and they're so like mm. you know, Jesus loves you <laughs> and like all this yeah. And nobody's going to take to that. Yeah. But we're hitting you over the head with this music. And, you know, I'm doing like backflips off the top of PA stacks. Oh, yeah. I saw a video last night. I was prepping for uh, our talk. And I was just like yeah. wanting to look at some of the things you've done. I was looking at a video of you on um, YouTube. You were, you know, singing uh, with the band, with the Crow Mags. Yeah. And it was amazing. You're like... People are jumping on stage. You're jumping yeah, like, off. It was like this huge energy, you know. That was the beauty of of that band, and uh, you still have it. Well, yeah, you know, I'm concentrating. I have this other band called Blood Clot right now. It's two of the members from Queens of the Stone Age, and it's like a punk band. And we got a record deal, and unfortunately, our guitar player relapsed into drugs and died mm. and we just replaced him we waited a while out of respect but you know we we have to you know we have a record deal so uh we got to keep pushing and uh but uh yeah i do that i do that band as well and uh how many records does the crow mags have i mean i think it's five or six okay cool wow you guys are like on for a while long time yeah. I mean, Metallica used to come see us. That's oh, just, my God. How cool is that? James yeah. Henfield came to see us at Lemoore in Brooklyn and actually got in the mosh pit and was slam dancing <laughs> and, lo and lost his shit. And like, oh, my God. And then his whole first tour, he wore a Cro-Mag hat on his, on his tour. Ugh, and was like, so cool. said in a magazine, the best show he saw in 1987 was the Cro-Mags at Lemoore. Oh, I so don't he, doubt it because what I saw was like, that's know, a cool concert. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, again, it's that whole ego thing of the different band members and, and then money was stolen and and drugs and all this stuff, which has brought down uh, a lot of bands. And then the Cro-Mags had problems over the years and members and whatever. Well, you're, you're doing fantastic. And I think that, you know, you have this new band coming up and you're just, I mean, you're, you're doing you, you're, you're living your dharma. It's just awesome. Yeah, well, uh, it took me many, many uh, years, and, and people kind of look now what I'm doing, and I'm like, yo, you don't see yeah, the plan, the, the 40 something <laughs> years of all the other blood, sweat, tears, and shit I had to deal with and fight through to get to this point. But that's why I'm like, you can never give up. You can't give up in your yoga practice, you can't give up in your sobriety. 
you know, you can't give up with your exercise and you're eating a clean diet. You can slip up, but you don't give up. You know, you, you yeah. keep pushing. That's my mantra that I tell people all the time, you know, slipping up and giving up is, is two different principles. Your earth school, all your earth schooling <laughs> in, while uh, in earth school. school. Earth school. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go through the school of hard knocks at the university of the streets. It's like, it, yeah. uh, you know, all credit goes to my guru Maharaj. It, it goes to Prabhupada because Prabhupada, his books opened my eyes. I can't even s- listen. There's a lot of people that get into plant-based and vegan. And if they don't do it for the right reason, if that ahimsa, mm-hmm. if it's for vanity and I want to look good and mm-hmm. I'm always posing with my shirt off and look, I'm vegan. I'm vegan and I have muscles. It's like, yeah. who gives a fuck? Exactly. Because I've seen, I've been doing this shit a long time and I've seen a lot of those people go back to eating. Oh, yeah. Because they didn't have the aspect of ahimsa. When mm-hmm. you know that you are consuming the life of a tortured animal, there's no way I would ever go no. back to eating meat. There's no way. And the thing is, I love The Game Changers. It's a beautiful movie. And, and I was watching, I mean, documentary. I mean, if you guys haven't seen it, watch it. But I was, there's a comment that I made on your Instagram, one of your posts. But it was like, people were going back and forth about the, you know, Joe Rogan, the guy that went yeah. there and tried to debunk the movie. And, yeah, that guy, and, Chris. Yeah. Like, and the, he's and, an acupuncturist who thinks he's like a medical <laughs> doctor. Like, get the fuck well, out of here. The, when they both went there, the guy who's in the game James changes him was, was awesome. You know, they had this great yeah. debate. Like, I loved it. But at the same time, I was watching that and I was just thinking in my head, Wait a minute. That, that's what I commented on your Instagram because I was like, we're completely missing the point here. Like, right. which is the point is what you just said. I mean, for me, it's like this is all very interesting. And I love knowing scientific backgrounds. And I love that people can run marathons on plant based. I love all of that. And I love, you know, and if you want to look really good on plant based or think it's trendy, this is all amazing. But let's not forget that the number one reason is ahimsa. That, right. you know, you cannot be okay with seeing another being because the other being is you going through something like that that's going to collectively affect the entire planet with, yeah, you know, Papa suffering. Said, as long as you maintain slaughterhouses, there will always be war. To me, that's slavery. Yeah, of course it is. It is. You know, it's worse than that. It's an animal holocaust. The Cro-Mags have a song, Death Camps. It draws similarities between what we did to people in the Holocaust to what we're doing to the animals oh, now. Oh, for sure. And then you don't want to put that, that even if you like don't really, okay, maybe you don't care so much about that, vibe, but you can't possibly want to be doing all these clearing practices such as meditation and yoga and eating healthy and then putting that energy in your system, in your yeah. five koshas, in your chakras, in your subtle body. I mean, you are injecting violence into your suffering. I mean, it, that's going to be you. That's a part of you. There is no yeah. separation. And this exactly. is one thing you said that I loved. I, I don't know. It was like along this line, when you know better and you don't do better, right? The karmic yeah. reactions are so much more it's severe. severe. Prabhupada said that the other day. I'll, I'll tell you the quote because I have it right here. It's uh, Prabhupada also said, devotees, they are para, dukkha, dukkha. The symptom of a devotee is they are, they are unhappy by seeing others unhappy. But here's the quote. I read these every day because every day 
It's a quote from Prabhupada. He said this in Vrindavan in 1975. If one purposely commits mistake and sinful life, now I am chanting Hare Krishna, I can do all sinful life. It will be counteracted. That rascal will be punished very, very much. I am living in Vrindavan. Oh, it is the Dom. So let me do all nonsense. It will be counteracted. Prabhupada said, there'll be these cats and dogs and monkeys in Vrindavan in their next life. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you can't. Yeah. Like once the seed of knowledge is planted and you know better, then mm -hmm. it's like you have to act better. You know what's being done to these animals. That's why people, they don't want to watch these movies, Meet Your Meat and Dominion and all these other movies. And, and I say, hey, make everybody watch them. If you're going to eat those animals, you should know what's being done to those animals. But, you know, look look what's happening now. They have these gag or ag gag orders. Like it's it's become now a federal crime for you to take photographs or videos of slaughterhouses or any of the practices of the meat industry. I did not know that, and that is insane. You know, there's something in life called the center of good. And I believe all humans, 99.9999% of human beings, there are definitely evil souls that come to this planet to create havoc. We've seen it, Adolf Hitler, all these different, there's definitely evil people that come here to do evil shit. Mm -hmm. But 99, Prabhupada said 99.999% of the population is just innocent, right? And they have that center of good. When they see these videos, that's why, you know, the people that go out with the cubes and they, they show the, the slaughter videos to people, anonymous mm -hmm. for the voiceless or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And people see this, they're like, they start crying. They're like, holy shit. Oh, yeah, like, it's crazy. Like, how can I, I can't, like, the seed's been planted. Oh, yeah. That seed's planted. You ain't never going to forget that. And oh, yeah. I applaud people that bring the reality to light of what's being done to these animals because yeah i do the, too the center of good is there and when most people will see that they will be like i can't fucking support that that's I right i don't want anything to do with what's being done to that living entity right yeah, there yeah but if you're like well i can't i'm so offended cuz something just po showed up on my facebook post or something it's like come on open you know open your eyes like come on it's just like if you're going to eat that then you got to you got to be yeah, okay don't with don't pay somebody that. else to murder somebody oh uh, yeah <laughs> you know i'm going to pay somebody else to do yeah. the murder oh god like you know yes yes but it's like you know the thing is is like People go to jail for kicking a dog or beating a dog or doing whatever, dog fighting, mm -hmm. this, that, mm -hmm. the other. Where's the disconnect of what's being done to these animals? Like the horrors. Prabhupada said we've turned Earth into a hellish planet for the animals. I mean, at almost 2020, with the age of information, the Internet, so much intelligence going on, so much, you know, it, it's time. It's just like, yeah. this is it. This is it. Like, if you're really on the next level, as you should be, as this incredible species that we are, the human being, so capable, unlimited amounts of possibilities to be who you want to be, do who you want to be, then it's not enough. I always say this now, it's not enough to just know it for yourself and do good for yourself. You if you got to act, you got to do it for others too. You got to pay it forward. You got to like, that's what I do. Even the book, Meet Us of Pussies, it's tongue in cheek. Yeah. It's like, 
But you know what? That book has converted people that the vegan movement would never be able to reach. Like I'm talking hardcore criminals and and special forces guys and and, oh, yeah. and fighters and and all kinds of stuff because it's like I'm like okay well here's what you think you need meat for now I'm going to tell you the real deal about it and I use a vernacular that is from the street you know so. I got to tell you that I know man okay a man who because of this book I actually have your book meat is for pussies in my hand right now I have it highlighted so many places but um I want to read a small passage but what I was going to say is that I know man several that would have never changed yeah. their diet had they not read your book and it was your book that was a huge eye-opener so huh, okay. I really well. really like you know want to thank you for that for the work that you do because it's just fantastic and we really need your voice like your voice is very different than my voice is very di- you know what I mean yeah we all have our niche you know like yeah and but you do it in a way that I I really admire because I can I can never do what you're doing and so anyways page 135 you say I think this just has to do with what we're talking about We can't have real unity and equal rights on this planet until we embrace our spirit and start seeing everyone as equal. I love that. Right. Well, that's what, you know, there's a quote in the Gita and it says that the self-realized sage doesn't see the difference of any living entity, whether it be, whether it's an elephant, a tiger, a dog or a dog eater, the Chandalas in India, they eat dog. So... The self-realized soul doesn't see a difference of any. He sees every every living entity as a, as jiva. So when you come to that's the level of Brahman realization that you see people as spirit souls, not even the physical material body. So then there's no question of you know racism or any of this stuff that's existing against women or any of this stuff because you know this is the process to cure all the ills of society. Mm-hmm. But it's a spiritual process, but that has to start with like, hey, man, I'm not going to cause any pain to this baby lamb over here or this baby cow or this pig because I want to eat it. When there's plenty of other things that you could eat that doesn't involve the torturing of these beings. And all I can speak upon is what it did for me when I stopped eating meat and relay that story to people. And over the years I've been doing this and now with social media, I get thousands and thousands of people hitting me up saying, man, that shit changed my life. It's the best thing I ever did. I took up yoga now. I'm plant-based. I started exercising. I got sober. I actually had somebody that was like, this guy got out of jail Real tough fucking guy, man. You know, 220-pound construction worker, went to jail, got out drugs. You know, he came out on my walking tour, and at the end, he's like, yo, I didn't want to talk to you in front of everybody, but I just want to tell you, like, the day I hit you up, I had a 9 millimeter in my mouth, and I was going to kill myself. Whoa. And I said, let me just reach out to John Joseph and see if he's going to write me back. And I wrote him back right away. That's so awesome that you do that. I mean, it was just like, holy fucking shit. Like, you know. Yeah. 
That's why I always remain accessible to everybody. As long as you don't come on my my thing being a dick, oh, oh bacon okay. and all this shit. Yeah. Because like, you know you're not gonna do that shit in my face. No, no. Because and I'm, I'm gonna fucking like smush you and be like, yo, get the fuck out of here. But people think they could. You know, I'm not on social media to argue with people. No, no, that's just a waste of vibration. You have to be respectful when they're on your page too. You know. Yeah, but I don't go on other people's pages and talk shit. I'm like, no, you're so of service with everything that you do, including like answering to your, you know, everyone who follows you and your comments, and you think you're very present. Yeah, I try to be because it's like, who am I? I'm just, uh, you know, okay, whatever. I've done whatever, but I'm not better than the next person. I'm just, we're all in this together. And, you know, it's collective change that needs to happen. So if you start getting up on your high fucking horse, all these celebrity vegans and all this bullshit, I could give a fuck less about them. (laughs) They fucking annoy the shit out of me. I know. and And most of them are narcissists. And they're doing the shit to gain followers and this and that. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck about none of that. You know what I want to do is help the common man, the common woman, these mothers that are out here, these dads, all these people that are going through shit. Yeah. You know, I'm down in the trenches with all of them. That's that's. Well, you speak your truth and you live your truth. And that's something that I really admire on you. Because I'm like that. I like to connect. It's very diverse, your public. It's very, everyone's very welcome. And that's yeah. just such a great, it's very natural. It's organic, too. It's not like you're forcing yeah. it. It's not unauthentic. It's authentic. Right. Well, well, you know, here's a perfect example was I went on Joe Rogan's podcast and everybody mm-hmm. was like, they set it up like the vegans going on there. The fucking <laughs> it's like, first of all, motherfucker, I don't call myself a vegan. Second of all. <laughs> Joe Rogan is not going to get me to hunt and eat meat, and I'm not going to get him to stop eating meat. We can have an intelligent conversation. That's what I was going to say. What a beautiful dialogue. Yeah, and we talked for three and a half hours. Yeah. And it wasn't this challenging, like, back and forth, fucking tit for tat kind of bullshit that nobody... We talked about all kinds of shit. And the vegans wrote... You are a fucking sellout that you didn't attack them for hunting. But you know what? I got 30,000 extra people following me within that month. Not only that, thousands of those people said you're the first person to break this shit down that don't have a stick up their ass. And I went plant-based and I stopped eating animals and I feel great. You know the saying, you get more with, with honey than you do with vinegar, man. For you know? sure. Oh, yeah. Like- that makes total sense. And the thing is, and, and I, I really love that you guys did that because, you know, these the podcasts, they're a platform. Joe Rogan's a huge platform. And many, yeah. many are all are. You know, you never know who's going to listen to what Rich you're putting Roll, out. Rich Roll. I, I mean, I love Rich Roll. I love Srimati. And I love that Joe Rogan has a different perspective, and yet he was—he's also open. That's my rooster, by the way. Oh he's, yeah, I heard <laughs> it. Do you hear? And he's open to having uh, different points of view. You know, different yeah. points of view and discussing that. So I guess what we're saying is, it doesn't. Yes, if you have a different perspective, whatever it is, we don't have to go to war over. We can have a di- an intelligent yeah. conversation. It's okay to talk about things. It's okay to disagree about things. It's okay, and it's a blessing that you're going and speaking, you know, in places. Right. Well, that's what I do now, too, is I started uh, 
getting asked to come and do. I just spoke at this uh, 360 Ignite conference in, in Canada, and now I'm speaking at this big uh, Veg Fest thing in Richmond in January. So I've been doing a little bit more of that because it's, um, you know, to relate my story to like, yo, this is like, if somebody like me could end up at the place where I'm at, then the possibilities for for people are endless because it just takes hard work. And um, all of us have that same potential, you know, like that uh, if you read Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, The Nectar of, of Devotion, it talks about the 26 qualities of a pure devotee that everyone has it in minute portions who we interact with, our sangha, and our, the company we keep, and the activities that we take, we're either uh, becoming more contaminated by Maya, or we're going in the right direction to becoming self-realized souls. That's what Prabhupada wanted for everybody. It's possible for everybody, but we have to. We can't just talk to talk. We have to walk to walk. We have to, you know, the days you don't want to show up and do your thing is, is you have to do it. You know, the resistance. And that's why I love uh, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, because it's a very spiritual book. He even quotes Bhagavad Gita that Arjuna didn't want to fight on the battlefield against his own relatives. But, you know, Krishna convinced him. You know, the Pandavas, the Yadu dynasty had become very corrupt and demoniac and that it's your job as a warrior to fight these people that are doing these demoniac activities. We don't we don't sit by idly and be like, oh, well, that's there. No, like the real thing is we have to fight Maya every single day and mm -hmm. we have to fight the ones who are putting this false information out there and this false doctrine and this false way of life just become a materialist and get all the money you can and the jewels and the girls and the guys and and have the fancy cars and live this bullshit life because you're going to crash and burn you know do yeah. whatever you want you don't have to be responsible for anything no every single thing you do you are responsible for karmically so you should live your life accordingly and to me you know, I don't even think about it anymore. Being plant-based is like, that's just like part oh, yeah. of course. It's just oh, like. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, it's not even, uh, f like, sometimes people ask me, well, how come you, do you ever feel like you want to eat a chicken or whatever, whatever meat, you know, no. or a beef? I'm like, it's not even food for me anymore. I mean, it yeah. hasn't been for many years. Like, I don't actually think of that as food. I don't know. Is that is that like that for you, too? I mean, it's not like. No, yeah. I don't think yeah. of that shit as food. No, I'm just no, like, yo, no. that's like. That's, That's not... exactly what that is. That is the leg of a fucking chicken that you severed off. Yeah, I mean, it's just And you just took not... that animal's life. That animal only wants to live just like you want to well, live. Well, and that's the thing. Like, if you see it, like, then it's not It's not a question of, like, it's not even hard or anything. It's just not food. And if it's not food, it's just not yeah. food. It's like, if it's very simple. Well, if you eat foodstuffs in the mode of ignorance, then your consciousness will be in the mode of ignorance, you know? And that includes taking intoxications and, and all this, you know, different stuff. I mean, that's why I, I also push sober living because yes. like, you can't be, you know, trying to practice tapasya austerity. And then because the four activities of sinful life, which one of them is intoxication, it destroys motivation. So 
people that are getting high all the time, uh-huh. they're not motivated. They're not going to be able to perform severe austerities. There's the motivation aspect. And I'm just speaking from my own experience. That's why I stopped smoking weed and you all this shit. You can't be and clear. I mean, you know, how are you going to be that clear and see you know, things as is? Like, what is the root word of intoxication? Toxic. You're toxic. putting a toxin into your system and people think oh i'm gonna take these drugs ayahuasca and mushrooms and i'm gonna get this what you're having is an hallucinogenic episode that's exactly how i feel if you want real spirituality Mm -hmm. you do the tapasya you do the austerity you do the meditation yeah and then slowly their spirituality will be revealed to you you don't get to have a peak glimpse into stuff because you took some drug that no so i have a friend of mine that asked me uh recently said well but if you're not taking these mushrooms and you're not you're not interested in doing ayahuasca and all this how do you know how are you going to get to those alternate and higher states of consciousness my answer was like what do you mean like well (laughs) yeah yeah, (laughs) but yoga meditation i mean (laughs) i sit and breathe with myself i have a tea practice i practice yoga i mean i read this i mean you can sit and meditate and get into some really deep levels of consciousness Right. right well here's the thing so you have the elements earth water fire air ether right then you have the mind intelligence and the false ego right above that is the jiva the soul So the minute you take an intoxication, you're coming down to the mental platform because you're doing something that's affecting your mind. Your third eye is closing. It's not opening. Like the minute you take an intoxication, you're immediately dragged back down to the material world. You're you're consuming something that is an intoxicant. It's a false sense. And I'm seeing a lot of this, unfortunately, a false sense of a vision or like of spirituality right and this happening a lot in the spiritual community too yeah they're all uh, i mean i know one famous author and she wrote a big vegan book that was one of the most famous ones by any woman and she started taking ayahuasca and she went back to eating meat and she Mm -hmm. said it's the karma of those animals that they're getting killed that's what her so-called guru in that community and he's like some big dude in the ayahuasca community told her that it's okay to eat animals that it's their karma well there you go right there so i mean i don't i wouldn't say all of them do that but yeah listen for me my path and what Prabhupada said is we don't take intoxication we don't eat meat fish eggs the rest of it we don't go around having illicit sex with everybody under the sun don't play games and the you know the you know we don't gamble gamble all that because that destroys truthfulness yeah like i know people with gambling addictions and they they're not honest it's not good everything that you see in the principles of of a holistic spiritual life these other things are in direct competition with what you're trying to do spiritually so if Prabhupada says don't take intoxication to me i don't need to hear some other dude ramble on for two hours about how ayahuasca is not intoxication sorry my guru says it is and that's who that's who i'm gonna listen to and i'm gonna listen to you that you're not even following the regulative principles you have no austerity at all in your life and you're eating meat and you're 
you're engaging in in sex life with these other people that are doing this mm. stuff and then you're going to try and, and educate me philosophically that's not going to happen because you're not going to be able to argue with what is in Prabhupada's books, and that's the truth. It, so. Well, yes, that is the truth. And when you take these toxins, whether, you know, whatever the choice of the drug, hallucination or whatever that you're doing, it's like your your channels, right? We're not just this physical body, the body, right. mind, spirit. Your channels, your subtle body, your auric field, whatever you want to call it, your nadis, all your meridians, everything is opening and it's getting clogged. Not only that, you're opening yourself to this astral plane that's full of energies that we don't the not all of them are yeah. you know great and so you're inviting there, there's a bad there's a lot of evil and i'm saying this i'm gonna tell you right now i'm saying this to somebody who used all of those i i know you have experience hallucinogenic drugs yeah. and i've had visions in those subtle planes of very evil beings that exist because oh yeah the thing is, Bart Varsh, which is what Earth is actually called, is a middle planetary system, if you look at it. So there's, in this planet in particular, there's beings of light, there's beings of dark. So you can go in either direction. And the knowledge is contained for both of those worlds. Exactly. And on a subtle platform, there's Buddhas, there's ghosts, there's all different living entities that exist on another plane of existence that we don't have access, but they're there, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I know people that take intoxication, they became haunted by ghosts. Oh, me know? too. I actually... Like ghostly I, haunted, like not even the same person anymore. Oh, yeah. I, I know people who have taken their lives because of this. Yeah. I mean, this is no joke. And so I, I'd really... So for me, let I go into the positive. Like for me, it's like I want to be high on being clear. I want to be high on right. like life, high on the air that I breathe. I'm being completely awake without any other, you right. know, without anything clouding my mind, my head. That I know that this maybe, however I'm feeling, is because of such and such. No, the high to me is just to be awake to be here to be alive each right. and every day to be clear to know that this essence and this energy that i am is coming from me and right. nowhere else you know and that's the high that's the high and this is amazing it's like it can be an amazing life i don't need anything else i don't need any other outside sources to come and influence me i mean i can find myself realization throughout my own path right. and me I have three exactly. last questions for you because I don't. I want to be mindful of your time and thank you so much for doing this talk yeah, with no me worries. today. Okay, just three last things. So I love asking this to different people and I think this really helps uh, people that are listening to say, okay, I want some ideas. Daily, any daily rituals, mornings, like how do you start your day, your morning, any practices uh, like that? Yeah, I get up early. The first thing I do is, you know, every single morning I touch my head to the floor. I say my mantras. What time you get up, John, usually? Uh, you know, usually five o'clock or so. So you know. you're, you're early yeah, riser. I'm an I'm a, I'm a early person. Like, uh, like I said, I have sadhana. I have... I talk about that in my latest book, The PMA Effect, how I, I have a whole list of things written out that I'm going to accomplish the next day. And, and I go after those tasks. And, and uh, you know, it's never like I'm floating through the day. Oh, what am I going to do? No, I know exactly. I'm going to get up. I'm going to say my mantras. Then I'm going to work on my book. Then I'm going to go to the gym. Uh -huh. There's always something next. 
So you make do. lists. You make yeah, lists. yeah. I uh, I have a list of stuff to do, and and part of that is you know I don't even have to say it, but it's service. Having that service attitude is very important in life. So that's a big part of it. You know, and setting goals, uh, you know, there's always a next goal for me, whether it's an Ironman or now I just made plans. We're going out to L.A. to rehearse, to work on some new music. So it's like it's always something, fun. you know, go, fun, go, fun go, for go, you. go, go, because, you know, I wrote that today. I'm like, listen, if you're of sound body and mind, don't take that shit for granted. You know, go after what it is. I had a lot of people try to you know, kind of douse my dreams of stuff that I wanted to do, whether it was when I wrote my first book or whatever. People that are telling you that you can't achieve your dreams, you got to sever yourself from those people because they've accepted the suck. Thank you for saying that. But and you it, don't have yeah. to. You don't have to. And I, I, I'm going to tell you something right now. When I was writing my first book, I knew I was getting published. I didn't know how, but I knew I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to give up the work every day to Krishna. To, I'm going to I'm doing this as service. This book is going to help other people. So the daughter of a very famous uh, writer, he's had movies, made movies. He's written best-selling New York Times. His daughter, she's like, oh, I saw her. And she said, what are you doing? I said, oh. You know, I'm working on this book now for like three years. She's like, oh, you're never going to get it published. She's, I was like, what do you mean? I was like, of course I am. She's like, no, you're not. And she's like, my father is like a famous writer. He can't even get his book published now. Oh, God. I just, I just looked at her and I, I said, okay, man, you know, have a nice life. I said, take care. Good seeing you. And I walked away. Oh, God. And I kept working my ass off. And when the book came out, I got the cover of the Village Voice in New York City, which is a huge deal. Wow. And, and I called that person up and I said, hey, did you see the cover of the Village Voice? And she's <laughs> like, yeah, I can't believe it. Uh, congratulations. I said, I yeah. want to bring you back to three years ago. Do you yeah. remember what you said to me on First Avenue and 14th Street? She's like, no. I said, see, you don't even remember the impact that your words had. But yeah. your exact words were, I'm never going to get my book published because your father couldn't. And I said, you know what? That shit inspired me to prove you wrong. That's and so cool. If I'm your friend, you should never try to douse a friend's dreams. You should encourage it. That's what you should have done. If you were my friend, that's what you would have done. You wouldn't have tried to sow the seeds of doubt and be like, so that's it's very important that we have a dream and we go after it, but we don't accept the poison that these other people try to inject in our lives. Like Don Miguel Ruiz talks about that. Oh, yeah. I it's love the four agreements. agreements. Not accepting, don't take things personal because that's their poison that they're projecting their all experiences of everything they've tried to do and failed at and gave up. And they're trying to project that onto you. I never accept that. I had people do tell me I wouldn't complete my first Ironman. I had people tell me I'd never get a record deal. Now I'll never get a film deal. I'm proving them all wrong because I stick to the goal and I chip away at it every day and I have faith. And that faith is what mm. gets me up every day and, and cranking it. 
Mm, that is beautiful. Okay, answer these questions. Two more. What does the world need more of? The world needs more conscious people. The world needs more teachers. And that's what, you know, the world really needs is people who are compassionate humans who care about other humans and want to help people and the planet and the animals. We need healers. That's what we need. We don't need any more tough guys and all this bullshit and, and nasty women and tough guys with attitudes and all this crap and ego. It's like, shut all that shit down, man. It's The world needs healers and people need to heal. People are in a suffering condition. And that's what Prabhupada said when he came here. He's like, they're suffering like crazy. They don't even know any other way. Mm-hmm. So that's what I really feel. And I'll just give you this one analogy, right? So we did this uh, festival in the summer in in Providence, and it was with the singer from the Bad Brains. HR has his own. He has his band now, not the Bad Brains. It's called Human Rights. And uh, HR was in the car, sitting there with the window open, and somebody said, "Wow, man." I was there and he goes, you know, dude, man, you look so healthy and like you help so many people. And I said, you see the person sitting in that car? I said, that's the candle that lit 10,000 other candles because that's the way this works. Mm. HR schooled me. I ended up becoming a devotee because of him. I ended Mm -hmm. up getting into the plant-based, all the other stuff because of him. Mm -hmm. And whoever I helped, then they in turn have to go out and help other people. That's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. Like, it's not about us. We're just a microcosm in the grand scheme of things in the golden age, which is what we're in. We're yeah, actually yeah. in the golden period within the Kali Yuga for the next 10,000 years. For the next 9,500 years, there's a time of awakening on this planet. And we're just at the beginning of that. We're only 500 years into it. It feels like the beginning. Yeah. But people are waking up, you know. People People are waking up. Spiritual people. I always try to see the glass as half full and be optimistic and not point out all the problems of what the fuck's going on. That's why I avoid politics completely. It's bullshit. It don't solve nothing. Do the work on yourself. You want to change something, change your damn self. That's how we make the world a better place. Not no damn politicians going to do that yeah. for you. And then when you, you have the light and you know the light, not only you should be the light, but it is your duty to share the light. Yeah, exactly. Like help, uh, reach out and help other people. That's that's the whole thing of, of, of bhakti yoga and the whole thing of what Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu the whole congregational chanting and it's it's about the distribution of the knowledge of the love of God and all that. It's it's the whole process is built upon helping other people. I call you Prabhu. That means master. I, I say Das. That means I'm this Jayananda Das is my spiritual name. If I say my name, hi, what's my name? Jayananda Das. Das means servant. Mm-hmm. I'm here to serve you. Prabhupada Mm -hmm. was an Uttama Adhikari, the top most level of devotee, but yet he cooked, served everybody and cleaned every dish before he took a single grain of rice and made sure everybody was satisfied before he sat down 
That's an acharya. That's, that's devotion to the max. That's it. So mm-hmm. that's... Uh, yeah. And it, I tell this to my students, uh, the teachers in the trainings all the time. Now that... Because, you know, the trainings are... I mean, I, I mean, I love yoga. It's just so amazing. So transformational. The trainings are incredible. Um, you know, any any solid and good te- yoga teacher training, deepening your practice, you're gonna, it's going to open your mind, your yeah. heart space. And I tell them all the time, guys, because they say, oh, this is amazing. Now I feel so good. I have all this knowledge. Well, it's not enough. Now it's not enough to keep it only for yourself. Now you got to go out there and you got to, you know, you got to share this with your family, your neighbors, your loved ones, your community, your planet. I mean, that's why it's called called the Sankirtan Yagya. Yeah. And that's what that means is Yagya means sacrifice and Sankirtan means that you're going out and you're spreading the knowledge to other people. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to go out there and. Like there's that one song singing about that the living entity is sleeping in the witch of the lap called Maya. The Sleeping in the lap of the witch called Maya. Like it's such a dangerous place in the material world. There's danger at every step. Like I went and just did the Ironman in, in Cozumel and there was a very elite athlete that had a heart attack and died on the swim. Oh man! That person didn't think that he was going to get in, in, in the race that day and die. But you, we could, there's danger at every step in the material world. So you have to live. You don't live this like life where you're not even taking things seriously. This is a very serious, serious subject matter. It doesn't mean that there can't be a sense of humor and all the other stuff that exists with it. But mm-hmm. you have to become serious about your practice. Yeah. It's imperative. It's like you don't just act whimsically. Oh, yeah. Okay, one one last question. I know this is a big one, and you can answer it however you like. What is God? God is a person. Krishna means the all-attractive person. So, you know, we're all attracted to qualities of the individual, but the person who possesses all wealth, all strength, all fame, all renunciation, all beauty, all of that, we have little bits and pieces of that because a chinta beta beta tattva in Sanskrit was simultaneously one but different. So Krishna means the all attractive person. And the thing is, we're so used to seeing everything as man and woman and what, oh, well, how can, how can God have a body? Because, you know, I wrote about that. It's called the frog in the well philosophy. And it's a frog goes out to the ocean and comes back to the well and says, I've just seen the most amazing body of water. And all the other frogs start saying, well, is it, what is it, twice the size of this well? Three times? No, no, no. It's, you have to go out and experience it for yourself. It's, you know, but in that way, the frogs kept trying to use their own experience to try to figure out what the ocean was that he was talking about. But the only way you do that is by action. And that's what Prabhupada said, that when you chant Hare Krishna, you follow the regular principles, you do service, you take prasad, you go to the morning programs, you do everything that a devotee should do. Krishna will reveal himself through that devotee, through the heart of that devotee. And I'm not saying that I saw God, but Krishna let me know that Krishna was present, like Because I was getting up, I was living the life as a monk of two years and meditating every day and and celibate and studying and 
and doing devotional service every day. So mm-hmm. it's just like there's lots of things that exist. We just talked about that on other levels and, and planes of consciousness that yeah. we can't see because we are not tuned into that frequency. It's just like, okay, there's all these cell phone waves and all the TV waves oh, and yeah. all that stuff. You can't see that either, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. For sure. So yep. people try to say, you know, God doesn't exist or any of this. And I, you know, I don't even, I don't even listen to that because, uh, you know, when Krishna was present on the planet, if you read the Bhagavad Gita, what he was able to do to say that God can't descend from the spiritual world to the material world. As soon as you say God can't do something, then that's not God. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. You know, but some people want to worship Vishnu. Some people worship demigods, but, you know, Prabhupada came and taught us the eight-rung yoga ladder system. It ultimately ends with bhakti because it's direct perception of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And that's what all the other, whether it's Sankhya yoga or the, you know, the yoga philosophy by speculation. Okay, this is not God. This is God. You know, there's different methods to perceive the absolute. But... You know, in the Kali Yuga, where men's and women's intelligence is decreased, our lifespan is decreased, we should try to partake in, into the system that gives us the highest benefits in the shortest amount of time. You know, so that's my take on it. And that's what I tell people. Take up the process, chant, do it properly, eat purified foodstuffs, read the books, associate with other devotees and yogis, and and you'll come to your path. Your path may not be my path, but it could still be a path of goodness and a path to help the world. You know, just like what you're doing. You're teaching people yoga and all this. That is of a spiritual nature. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so amazing. Can you please tell us about the three books? Because there's so much that we can learn from you. Um, uh, the Evolution of a Cro-Magnon was the first book. And then Meetings for Pussies, that was put out by HarperCollins. And then I just released a book called The PMA Effect, which means the positive mental attitude, uh, the effect of how staying positive and continuing in positive work can actually, you know, change your life and as it says on the cover, make you the badass you were born to be. Every one of us that's on this planet right now is destined for greatness. And I will never accept anybody telling me anything different. It's just that when you start to go down that path, that's when you realize it. You know, we're not meant to like polished animals eating, sleeping, mating and defending. We have a higher purpose. Humans have a higher consciousness, a higher intelligence, and we're made for much more than that. So that's what the PMA uh, book talks about. And uh, I can't wait to read the the PMA. I can't wait yeah, to read it's, that. Uh, and I did audios for those two books. If you go to johnjoseph.merchnow.com, the audio book's available, the print book's available, and I always give a portion of the proceeds. I I support a plant-based food relief program for the homeless here in New York that does, you know, upwards of uh, 25,000 meals quarterly. And, uh, you know, yeah, so it's, and it's Prashad. The devotee offers it. So, yeah. uh, yeah. 
That's awesome. And uh, for people to follow you on Instagram or get in touch with yes, you on Instagram, uh, what's your yeah, Instagram? John, John Joseph Cromag on Instagram, JJ Cromag on Twitter, John Joseph on, on Facebook. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I try to return. As a matter of fact, I do return every single message that people write me because that is impressive you, you, know, you, you never know and i got what 82,000 83 almost 83,000 uh, but the thing is is like how do you know it's not that person that's sitting there with a gun in his hand like like my friend that now he's gotten clean and sober he came out on the walking tour he's like dude i'm going plant-based i'm i'm feeling better about myself but it was all because i answered him at that critical moment He's like, dude, if you didn't, you know, holler back at me like when you did, I, I can't even say that I would be alive because, you know, he did time in a heavy duty prison and has kids and was getting high and everything just seemed like it was. And I'm just like, dude, just stop right here. Stop everything that your belief system is made of because it's bullshit. I said, none of that is you, dude. Here's the book, and I and I give the link for Prabhupada's for you to read any of Prabhupada's books. It's free online. I said, go and read this book, The Science of Self-Realization. That's the first book I read that changed my life. And you know what? He got that book. He got to the link. He got went to that book, and he read that book, and he started climbing out of that deep, dark hole that he was in. Yeah, I and read now, that book too when I was in my yeah. early teens and then several, you know, I have it actually, we have it right by my bedside and it's just so amazing. Yeah. When someone comes at something with just pure love, their intent is pure love to help people and that's what Prabhupada was, that effect is going to translate when you read that book. It's going to jump off the page. You're going to see where this person's coming from. There's no false ego. There's no, it's, it's nothing but love. And that's what I was so attracted to Prabhupada about, like just the way he lived his life and, and, and what his mission was. And it, it had nothing to do with his own personal gain. It was just for everybody else. He lived his life for everyone else. That's why I say you got to watch your ever well-wisher. It's an amazing documentary and it's 100% fact. I'll definitely, I'm going to watch it. I mean, all the stuff you've mentioned, I made notes yeah. and I'll include that on show notes too. And I, I'm like excited to watch it all. Let me know when the podcast posts and, and then I'll, I'll put the link for oh, it. Oh, thank you. Uh, also, I was going to say happy holidays. Happy new yeah. year. Are you excited <laughs> about 2020? Yeah, of course. 2020 vision, eyes on the prize all the time. <laughs> I already got like three Ironmans set up. I'm like, I work out a new book coming out. I'm that's Working awesome. on a movie, I'm like, yo, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, keep, please keep doing what you're doing because you're yeah. an amazing force. I mean, you're an amazing voice. I really, really admire you, and you know, you're inspiring me every day. So well, I appreciate you. Know, I, I like Thank uh, you. we uh, <laughs> we link up with positive people, like minded people. So. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. Happy holidays. Subscribe to Life on Earth podcast. Share this episode. Get one of John Joseph's book. Follow us on Instagram. Look at our show notes for lots of links there. And get my new book, Living Life in Light. Sending you guys lots of love. Peace.